We ended right here by drawing attention in 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2, that this, this phrase, um, elect exiles here, is modified by three prepositional phrases, according to the foreknowledge of God and in the sanctification of the Spirit and for obedience to uh, Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So that's where we are. We're at number three. What does it mean that um, we are exiles and elect according to foreknowledge, so it, its cause goes way back in eternity. We are exiles elect by means of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You don't just choose to make yourself an exile. The Holy Spirit conforms you, makes you a saint, sanctification, and a saint is a holy one set apart for God, and therefore the culture around is not His home. Rather, heaven is His home. Christ is His home. The way of Jesus, the Calvary Road is His home. And now, for. So, cause means goal. And we talked about that kind of thinking. Not the only kind of thinking in the world or in the Bible, but a biblical kind of thinking. Build it into your brain. If you don't think that way, add that. And so here we are at the goal. I personally thrive on finding causes of things, means of things, goals of things. That's the way I live. That's why I just ooze. I need a cause. What made me do that? What, what, what is the point of the earthquake? I got to have an answer. What's this about? How did it happen? What, where's it going? What's the redemptive historical line drawn out in Nepal? And these images falling flat on their faces. What is going on here? So I think this way. I commend it to you to think this way along with other ways of thinking. So here we are for obedience to Jesus Christ. The reason you are in elect exile, talking to believers, is for unto obedience to Jesus. That's pretty clear. It's the next phrase that's less clear. You were chosen by God to obey Jesus and thus be out of step with the culture and in step with the heavenly kingdom where your name is written and your citizenship is. You're in exile in step with Jesus. Jesus is king. Obama's not king. You're whatever. <laughs> he's, not, he's not king. I'm so informed. <laughs> he's not king. He, not, he or she is not king. <laughs> I th- I think. These provincial Americans, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. What, what is, why did he add that? That is so strange. For sprinkling with His blood. So, now what, what, you're reading along, how would you answer that? you would look in the context as close as you can to find something parallel or similar and see if light is shed back on it. So, here's what I saw. Let's get down to… No, where is it? Is it earlier? No, no. I want 
There it is. So verse 17 to 19, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So you are an elect exile for sprinkling with His blood. Let's read this and see if light comes. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Come back to that fear issue. Knowing you were ransomed, so conduct yourselves a certain way. So that would be obedience to Jesus. You say it various ways. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing something. Knowing something will help you conduct yourself. What, what, knowing what? Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with, so you were ransomed from these futile ways. So you're, you're, not, you're not going those ways anymore. You're going with obedience to Jesus. These old ways, no more. You were ransomed from those ways not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Okay, that was very helpful for me. Because what, he, what, I, what I see now is, okay, in Peter's mind, the shedding of the blood, Jesus' shedding of the blood, is a, a payment, a, a, a ransom, that's more valuable than silver or gold. It's, it's perfect. It's without any, any blemish or spot. And the focus here is not on forgiveness, which is absolutely crucial, but that's not the focus here, right? What's the focus of the blood function here? I was walking along some ways called futile ways inherited from my father's. I'm walking along some futile ways. So some of you, lots of you, have inherited ways from your parents that are futile. They're just dead-end streets. They were all off in the way they lived their lives. And you grew up in that home, and you're walking with those priorities and those bents, and you're walking, and Jesus dies with an infinitely valuable price and, and purchases you he ransoms you from those ways. You are set free, not just from the guilt of sin, but from paths of sin by blood. Which then, if you go back to those two right there in 1 Peter 1, you are, a, you are an elect exile for obedience, that is, for the effect of the blood. Obedience to Jesus, freedom from the old ways, ransom paid. And you see how, how Peter's thinking about sprinkling here. The, 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 the sprinkling of the blood upon my life, we know from other texts, cleanses me from guilt. It takes away the wrath of God. It makes me home with the Father. Peter's going to talk about that big time in chapter 2. But here, he's thinking, these people that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire have all of them come out of pagan homes. This is first generation, right? They've all. Every new Christian come out of a pagan home. 
So if you came out of a pagan home, that's, you're that. This is for you. So for a pagan home, they've got all these ways that are a dead-end street. They're futile. They're empty. And what is his thought for the remedy for that? Blood. Blood was shed. And we'll, we'll try to dig into the dynamic of how does that psychologically work? But for right now, it seems pretty plain to me that for obedience to Jesus, for obedience to Jesus and for sprinkling are saying the same thing, and the second half is simply saying how that obedience was accomplished. Ransomed from disobedience. Ransomed from former ways with blood. So that's my take on those three, one, two, three uh, prepositional phrases used to define elect exiles. So the whole Trinity is involved Father, Spirit, Jesus Christ in your becoming an exile and walking according to foreknowledge and by the sanctifying work of the Spirit and for obedience. Now, I wish we could just stop and say questions, but here we go. Chapter, we are making progress. We are on the next paragraph. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, let's just read it through. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, just to show you what comes next. In this you rejoice. So this is a good break. So in this you rejoice. What? So we're going to spend a little while on what? So this, all of this right here, in that you rejoice. So joy in the Christian life comes from knowing that. In that you rejoice. If you don't even know any of that exists, you can't have that kind of joy. And reading these first verses, 3, 4, and 5, is intended by Peter, by God, through Peter, that that would awaken joy. And this joy, joy of whatever this is, is in this letter massively important for how you live as exiles. Just think back on sprinkled by the blood for the sake of obedience, that you might be out of step with the culture, in step with Jesus Christ, through a new joy. The, the old pattern of life was driven by a love, I love this world, this way, all the values that Vancouver brings to the world, all the material values. I love it, and that guides your conduct. And when that joy and that value goes down and Jesus goes up, and in this you rejoice, so does the conduct change. So this is relevant. 
to how you live your life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think I commented last night. When, when you think about such things as we have in this paragraph, do you worship? Peter does. Peter begins with worship. He could have just started by stating facts. God caused you to be born again. Start the facts. Give me the facts. But he didn't. He started with, blessed be God. Well spoken of, honored, glorified, loved, treasured, be God. And if that doesn't happen along the way in your Bible reading, the Bible's not having its full effect on you. We should be worshipful readers of the Bible, just like Peter was a worshipful writer of the Bible. And so, back to the question, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in Bible reading? To awaken that. So when I get down and start my devotions, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, come and cause me to see such things and feel such things are here that I will be spontaneously a worshiping man. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to bring that blessed out of your heart. Blessed be the God and Father. There's just so many Christians for whom the Christian life is just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Or tell me what not to do and I won't do it. And this dimension is missing. It's so sad. It's so sad. And I just am so thankful, Norm, that whoever you or somebody set it up so that we sang first. Last night, sang first this morning. I love to speak into that. Because that's the ground and the goal. And if I do my work right here, the means of reaching the goal of Scripture. Namely, you are great. How great is our God? That's the goal. Not just, we got the doctrine right. He's great. (laughs) Pass that final exam in systematic theology. God is great. God is robed in majesty. God has got a belt of truth on. Got to remember those three. Now let's, let's go play ultimate frisbee. <laughs> but, but rather, he's robed in majesty on your face. Lift your voice. So don't miss the fact that biblical authors worship as well as teach. And they thus model for us what they want to happen in our lives. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. God caused us to be born again. All Christians are born again. You can be born again and have never heard of that phrase, right? So you might hear the gospel, 
that Christ died for sinners, that he rose again, that he destroyed Satan's sin, hell. All who believe in this, he will forgive your sins. He will indwell you by his Spirit. He will remove the wrath of God. He will give you an everlasting life. And I didn't even use the term born again. And you might at that moment be born again. So don't, don't fret that you might have grown up in a church where you, you weren't taught the new birth. That's not the issue. The issue is, has it happened? So now that you're seeing it, you should ask, oh, did, did that happen to me? What, what would it mean? How, how would I even know? Because all Christians are born again, according to Peter here. He's just talking to believers, the elect exiles of the dispersion, and God has caused us all to be born again. And I would linger there and ask myself, well, what should I get from that? And I wrote down, it is a great mercy, which means I and you did not deserve it at all. We are walking beneficiaries of mercy. If you are alive in Christ right now, that's mercy. You can't boast in that, right? I'm born again. Here's a person working down Starbucks that may not be born again. Should I feel any pride in that? No. His great mercy. You didn't deserve to be born again. He didn't look for any redeeming qualities in you. You were dead. You had to be born. You had to come alive. And so it's a the new birth, rightly understood as as coming from mercy, is deeply humbling. We should tremble that we are utterly dependent upon mercy. Second implication, we were not alive. Like, I, I, my mom tells me that I was converted when I was six. I have zero memory of this. Fort Lauderdale, Florida, knelt down with her, prayed to confess my sins, acknowledge Jesus as my Savior, and receive him. She narrates this to me. I mean, she's in heaven now, but she narrates this to me, and I said, oh, I'm glad that happened, because I have no memory of it at all. So today, I don't base any of my hope on a remembered conversion. Well, well, what, what do you, how do you even understand your conversion then? I understand my conversion from what I see in the Bible. The Bible says John Piper, because today he loves God, trusts Jesus, loves his word, fights his sin, cries out for mercy, is a Christian, and therefore I've been born again, which means at at age five I was dead, and at age six I came alive. You don't need to remember your birth. In fact, none of you remembers your birth. But you were born, and the evidence that you were born is that you're sitting there breathing. Not because you have a birth certificate in your wallet. So, this is crucial that you theologically interpret who you are. Who am I? I was dead, non-existent as a spiritual being. My spirit was dead. It had no life. It was indifferent to spiritual things, impervious. You touched it, it didn't move with regard to godly things. And then it was alive. It was alive. The Bible came alive. Jesus came alive. Hope came alive. Everything about Christianity started to have 
sweetness and interest. What happened? You're alive. You're, you're born. A second time. A new person has come into being, and you didn't do this, and it is owing to great mercy from God. You didn't do it. God did it. You didn't cause your first birth. You didn't cause your second birth. God caused it. Now, there's not a word here about your participation in that, right? There's nothing here about faith or there's nothing here about the Word of God coming to you, but there will be. This is an amazing thing about First Peter. So here, he's just stressing some things about the new birth. In chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, he's going at new birth again, and a whole new crop of facts are put on it, like Word of God and gospel and purified heart. So let's just leave that for the time being. 